1: Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. On September 11, 2001, I was a 21-year-old senior at Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina. I got up that morning, opened my laptop, and checked the headlines on Yahoo News. There was an item about a plane crashing into a building in New York City. I didn't click on it, but I thought it was strange. I was a theater major, and I was getting ready to rehearse a scene with a classmate. When I got to the rehearsal studio, she was distraught. One of her roommates was from the Washington, D.C. area and couldn't get a hold of her parents. There were reports of a plane hitting the Pentagon. The rehearsal didn't last long. My classmate left to check on her roommate. I walked down the hall to the Student Center. A silent crowd was gathered around a big screen TV tuned to CNN. At this point, planes had hit both towers of the World Trade Center. One building collapsed, then the other. People around me gasped and screamed. I stood there, stunned, unable to process what was happening. That's my 9-11 story. For the past few weeks, we've been collecting your recollections of that day. Here's one of them.
2: On 9-11, the first plane hit the North Tower while I was riding the elevator up to my office at 345 Park Avenue South. Within that two minutes, New York City changed from a beautiful sunny day to one shrouded in dust and debris and blood. As I entered my office, several of my co-workers were gathered around the windows in our large open space office. We had an unobstructed view of the smoke billowing out of the high floor of the North Tower. Shortly thereafter, we watched as the second plane circled the South Building and slammed into it. Then, in tears and silence, we watched as the buildings crumbled into an envelope of smoke. We didn't hear the screams. We didn't hear what must have been the thunderous sound of the destruction. We just watched in horror. I remember thinking that we were watching many, many thousands of lives being lost. We found radios and turned on a TV to see if anyone knew what it was that we were witnessing. I stayed in the office until about noon when I began my walk up Park Avenue to Grand Central Station, to catch a train to take me to my home, 20 miles north of the city. Down in the street, I saw many people walking in a daze, covered in soot, having walked up from the area of the fallen towers. If I recall correctly, the mayor had already shut down the subway system. When I was finally able to board a train, every space was filled with people, many all white, like ghosts, covered in dust, packed in, all trying to get home. Two days later, I went back to my office, back to those windows where we used to clearly see those beautiful looming towers. It was silent in the city. Cabs and cars and trucks weren't honking their horns. It was a quiet of reverence. It took a little more than a week before the normal sounds of the city started to slowly come back.
1: We'll have other memories of the day throughout the show, but we're going to spend most of our time hearing from WUSF's Steve Newborn. On September 11th, he was at Emma Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, where President George W. Bush was scheduled to speak. So, Steve, I think you've mentioned to me before that September 11th, 2001 was actually
3: your first day at USF. Is that right? It was my first year. Uh, I had been there about six months. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, nobody expects that to happen, that kind of historical coverage to happen in your first year i'd only been there a few months i already had covered the president uh george w bush the president at the time had, had come to tampa and had covered it so you know this wasn't the most exciting assignment for me when i first got told i was going to do it so um it's funny how things work out in the end right
1: what was the assignment you were expecting to have that day
3: Right. So we were told that uh, the president, George W. Bush, was going to be speaking to a bunch of elementary school students in Sarasota. You know, one of the little secrets of journalism is that most journalists who aren't on the national circuit don't really like covering the president their visits. You can't interview him. You can't get close. You kind of spoon-fed the recording, and you can only interview people who heard what he said. So it's not—it's not the best assignment. So you know, I got what I thought was kind of given was the short straw, being told, "Oh, I got to go down to Sarasota. Got to cover the president." All right. So you know, so I went with that in mind, and you know, it was—it was a Tuesday morning, and, and that's basically the setup. And it, it changed really quickly, as we all know.
1: So I've covered presidential visits before, and as you say, for local media, it's it's interesting, but it may not be the best kind of, from a journalism perspective, the best assignment. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. You have to get there before the White House press corps does. You have to go through security checks and Secret Service and all that. Usually you're in some kind of bullpen or you're up on a riser and you're there for hours, wait b- before the president gets there. So that's kind of the 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 prelude to this morning. You're expecting this kind of rote assignment where President Bush is going to be in an elementary school. He's going to be talking about education. He's going to be meeting with some elementary school students. At what point during the morning do you get the sense that, okay, something's, something's up?
3: Right. So we were kind of herded into, you know, it was kind of a bullpen thing. It, 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 in this case, it was a... Uh, an audiovisual room it was the biggest room that they really had besides the cafeteria in this elementary school. You know, after about, well, I'd say about a half hour, I started hearing these whispers, right? People were going around, this is in the days before most people had cell phones. So, you know, right now everything's instantaneous. You look at your palm, well, there's the whole world in front of you, right? Then nothing like that. I kept hearing these little whispers. I heard words like plane and World Trade Center and these real hushed conspiratorial tones. This is the other reporters. They were calling or getting called from wherever they were, they came from, right? Their, their news directors, their bureau chiefs, they were getting all this. And, you know, I was kind of in the dark. This is, I came from a much smaller operation than most of these national reporters, so I wasn't getting people filling me on what was going on. I think most people didn't know what was going on. There's was a lot of rumors. So, you know, you hear all these whispers going on, and The president was in another room reading the famous Pet Goat. Actually, he was being read to by a bunch of school students. And there's the iconic photo of the the presidential uh, chief of staff, I believe, whispering in his ear. I didn't see any of that. We didn't see any of that. He came walking in, maybe about a half hour into this, and he looked like he had seen a ghost. Ashen-faced was the way I remembered it. I mean, the whole room just went silent fiddling, trying to get my recorder in, making sure I didn't miss anything. And that's when he said, terrorism against our nation will not stand. And it went really quick. You know, he mentioned that he had talked to the director of the FBI, the governor of New York, etc. And with that, no questions, he was hustled out of there quickly. Hurried him off to Secret Service, hurried him off to Bradenton and Sarasota International Airport. I I went there afterwards, and it had been shut down. And several people there had said they'd never seen Air Force One take off at such a sharp angle. So he was on his way to the, quote unquote, undisclosed location. It would turn out to be later Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. Nobody knew where he was going at the time. Right. So I want to back up for a second. So
1: Bush leaves. He makes this announcement. And I imagine, you know, so many people, myself included that day, watched what happened unfolded on TV for the people at this school. Their first word of what happened on nine eleven was probably
3: this statement from President Bush, correct, right, yeah, you could see a real hush go across the room, and then after he was hustled out to the airport, I mean everybody's dialing on their phones with the you know I didn't have a cell phone at the time. I had to call my news director on a landline, though the few that were there, so you know you could picture this this day, this kind of you know moment of history, and we're all sitting in there or in this room, this little AV room, audio-visual room, and they wheel out the one TV in the entire school on the little wheeled car, you know, with the squeaky wheels. The TV could not have been more than, you know, a, I don't know, a 17 inch at the most. I don't even remember if it was black and white or not. And we're sitting there glued to the TV watching the World Trade Center towers come tumbling down one after another. And we're all dumbfounded. You know, how could this happen? What happened? Who did this? Nobody knew, just rumors flying about. It was um, probably surreal is the best word I could use to describe that day. What was the reaction among the children
1: and, and the teachers in this school?
3: Yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk to the students. They were in the other room, and I think they were hustled away from all this because they didn't want these little ears. I mean, these are little kids, right? They didn't want these little ears to, um, to get unduly spooked, afraid, you know, of what was going on. I did manage to talk to um, the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Frank Brogan at the time, was there. He spoke to the media afterwards, and he was very calm, explaining how the president reacted to this, why he let the children continue to recite the pet goat after he heard the word that the first tower had been hit, and, you know, kind of putting it all in perspective. And I got a really good interview with the superintendent of schools for Sarasota County at the time. Uh, her name was Wilma Hamilton. And uh, listen to this, this one comment I got from her.
0: I think this is the um, ultimate lesson in American history. And it's one thing to see a, a president in a ceremonial role. It's an entirely different thing to see the weight of responsibility on his shoulders. And so I'm sure they'll go back and talk about all of this in their classes.
3: All right, so she says, this is the ultimate lesson in American history. I mean, I couldn't put it in better perspective. I don't know how somebody like that could be so thoughtful and calm at the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I finally got a hold of my news director. He said, just take the tape of the president. Get back here. I need to feed it to NPR, National Public Radio. And it was... And here's that word again, surreal on the drive back to Tampa, going north on I-75. Hardly anybody on the road. There was nobody out there. I'm thinking, what's going on? Listen to the radio. Nobody knew, you know, they're telling people jumping out of buildings to escape the smoke and the collapse in Lower Manhattan, what happened to the Pentagon. And then later we heard about the plane in Pennsylvania going down. And, you know, my mind is thinking, what is going on? I'm like thinking, are we under attack, right? Or I thought we were, the whole country was under attack. I'm looking at the skies, looking for another plane coming down. It was that kind of fear. I I think that was palpable that day. So you mentioned before you got on
1: the road to get back to Tampa, you went to Sarasota Airport and, and talked to folks there. And this is where, as you said, Bush took off for points unknown, I think they just got into the sky for several hours before coming back down at this Air Force Base in Louisiana. But what was what was going through the mind of folks at uh, SRQ Airport that morning?
3: Yeah, the whole place was on lockdown. Like every other airport in the country was under lockdown. I talked to a couple from, um, I believe, Michigan. They were trying to get back and they were stuck. But fortunately, they had a home in Sarasota, so they would just turned around and went back. And there were very few people there, I remember. The place was empty. I mean, it was empty. I mean, I, I managed to get a hold of these, this couple that were coming back with their, with their suitcases. And it, it was very odd.
1: You're listening to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Today, we're looking back 20 years to September 11, 2001. WUSF Steve Newborn was in Sarasota, where President George W. Bush learned of the attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon. Here's a voicemail we got from a listener about their memories of the day.
4: I was 16 on 9-11, grew up here in the Tampa Bay area, and as I was homeschooled, watched most of the news coverage live from the time the first plane struck. Once the second plane struck, my mom immediately said, it's terrorists. For a long time, I couldn't look at pictures or watch footage specifically of the people jumping from the buildings because that was so... Horrendous to watch in real time. I have very clear memories of that day, what we ate for lunch and dinner, and I remember what a beautiful sunny day it was with clear blue skies. In high school, I had a significant amount of interest in both history and world news, so I remember thinking, this is our Pearl Harbor, so to speak. I have known several individuals who served in Afghanistan and have seen firsthand the effects of those deployments. The past weeks and now leading up to 9-11 have brought back a lot of memories.
1: Our show continues in just a moment. This is Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Today, we're looking back to September 11, 2001, as we approach the 20th anniversary of the attacks. We've been collecting memories from listeners of that day. Here's another.
5: I moved to Tampa in 2001, and my entire immediate family and my own, which was four generations, nine adults, three toddlers, and one on the way, were vacationing in Treasure Island that week. I distinctly remember watching TV with all of them, in silence for hours, not fully comprehending what was happening to us. However, I was supremely grateful that we were all together. We tried to distract ourselves and the toddlers by going to the zoo and bush gardens, which were almost empty. It was eerie. We weren't sure when everyone would be able to leave as the airports were closed. When the day came for them to fly home, it was very hard to say goodbye. My three-year-old nephew was asking if the plane he was getting on was going to crash, all because of the news footage we had failed to shield him from. I have two children, one born before 9-11 and one after. They will never know the difference, but I think about this often. Just like previous generations, 9-11 was my Pearl Harbor, and next to this pandemic, the biggest historical event in my lifetime so far. And every anniversary, I'm taken back to that beach rental and the memories of that week.
1: Now back to my conversation with WUSF's Steve Newborn. You know, I've been trying to think back to what I was feeling at that time. And it's fear, but it was just also this sense of almost like you were in a daze because the size and scale of these attacks it was you know the people the thing that people kept saying was it's it's like it's like a hollywood movie it's like you know crashing planes into buildings and making them fall
3: right nobody could believe it i mean how could anybody do this to to us you know you know the, the the remaining superpower after the end of the cold war how could this happen in our backyard at the in in the in the center of our commerce the center of our, our national defense of the pentagon you know, the probably what would have happened to that plane and that went down in Pennsylvania was heading for another landmark in Washington, DC. The Capitol was named pretty big target. If you've been to Washington, DC, you can't miss it. It's the biggest building that in the Washington Monument around. So yeah, we were Yeah, you know, we were just dumbfounded. How could this happen to this country? And I later talked to people the next day and a common theme I heard was how could we be so hated in the world that people would do this to us um you know granted i went to uh so the next day i was at the usf tampa campus a lot of international students there and i specifically talked to some of them to get a kind of a different take and that was that was the theme i heard from these um from these people is how could we be so hated in the world i want to find out how we could be so hated in the world that people would do this to us uh, that, that was the common theme I was hearing the next day. What
1: was it like being on a college campus in the aftermath of these attacks, as you said with a school especially like USF that has so many international students?
3: yeah, the campus was closed, it was shut down like 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 everything else was shut down the following day in nine twelve and uh, but you know a lot of a lot of students live there. It's got a big population of students who live in the dorms, especially the international students who aren't from the area uh so there are a lot of people milling about. i um saw a group passing out flyers. It was from the Muslim Student Association, and they were basically trying to defend their honor as as Americans you know that okay, so the terrorists quote unquote were Likely Muslims at the time, um, Osama bin Laden's Al Qaeda group, and they were trying to spread the word that theirs was a religion that did not condone this. There was a religion of peace. They are like any other Americans, and they were trying to um, basically educate the people that you know were like you. Here's here's another comment if you'd like to play that as well. Sure. We just want to make it clear that
2: like, we completely condemn what has happened. and like, This is against our religion, against our beliefs, and we're just as shocked a, uh, about it as anybody else is.
3: Now, right after I talked to this gentleman, um, I ran into USF President Judy Genshaft, uh, president at the time, and um, there was a lot of foment on campus about a about an erroneous report that a very famous radio shock jock had said that Muslim students on campus were cheering the night of the attack, and the police on campus said uh, they had some reports of Muslim students being verbally abused, thankfully not physically attacked, but you know people heaping blame on them on their religion for perpetrating this the The president. Went on record saying that was that was not true. That was bunk. And here's what she said.
0: I Wanted to say on record that is an absolute lie our campus was completely quiet last night I was out Through um, until late in the evening here on campus walking around Uh, The police were all around there was no incidents whatsoever last night. It was very somber and uh, this is uh, inciting uh, public safety hazards that, What this other radio station has done. It's appalling. It is absolutely appalling.
3: Have you heard about it? Any other stations besides that one station? I think it was 98
0: Rock from what we were hearing. I have not heard it on any other stations, or I, I frankly have been in meetings and walking around and seeing people, so I haven't been listening to the radio, but I did not hear that it was on other stations. But whomever hears this kind of thing, it is, it is nonsense.
3: You have not heard any kind of uh, reports of threats or violence or anything of that nature on this campus?
0: This campus, if you walk over there, you'll see signs saying that everybody is, uh, we're all here to preach tolerance and understanding with one another. So I appreciate you asking me because um, it has to be publicly known that this is a very safe campus and we, wa- we are open for intellectual inquiry.
1: That was USF President Judy Genshaft. Steve, what, what did you learn in, in the days after the attacks about victims who might have uh, connections to the Tampa Bay region?
3: Yeah, going back to Judy Genshaft, uh, there was a professor uh, at the time called Sammy L. Arian. He ran a, a think tank on the USF Tampa campus called WISE, I believe it stood for World Islam Studies Enterprise and he had been accused of he had been accused of that being a front for a radical Palestinian group called Palestinian Islamic Jihad this was a couple of years later uh this became a national story uh FBI went to great lengths to try to collect evidence on him phone wiretaps etc and he was later acquitted of almost all the charges, he did plead guilty to one charge. It was a relatively minor charge, and he agreed in a plea deal to leave the country. He sent over to Egypt. That was a really big deal, and you know that, and the whole issue of civil liberties being curtailed or being nipped away at the edges. I did several interviews with a gentleman by the name of. Mike Feniger, he was with the American Civil Liberties Union at the time. He's a former Army colonel, I believe, and we had several long interviews about the erosion of civil liberties that was being taken by the federal government, as far as allowing wiretaps, uh, surveillance that had never been allowed in the, on domestic calls in this country. So that was the backstory to all this. It just—it wasn't just the invasion of Iraq. And the forever war in Afghanistan that looks like it finally ended, at least for America. It's the ongoing effect of 9-11 on our sense of invulnerability and our sense of a bastion, of being a bastion of civil liberties as well that took a big hit during this time. And it's still going on to this day. As you think back... To 20 years ago what are the
1: sights what are the sounds smells even you know what sticks out in your memory from that time that you just can't let go of
3: well it's just that day i mean i can't believe i was there when the president gave that speech how many how many people get to get to be a witness of that, that history you know it it's like my parents generation always talked about where they were when jfk got shot and before that is where were you when you heard about pearl harbor I mean, for my generation, it's where were you when nine eleven happened? And when I tell people where I was, they kind of look at me sideways and go, "Really?" And then I pull out my little press pass that I had from that day that was on my bulletin board at work forever, and I'm like, "You know, that's a that's a real conversation starter right there." So, um, you know, I I'm I'm privileged to be this kind of witness to history. As you mentioned, for a couple of generations
1: of Americans, myself included this was one of those defining moments. I remember it. But there are lots of people alive now who were young children or they hadn't been born yet. I know you have kids. Have you, if you talk to your kids or have you talked to younger people about 9-11, what it, what, what it was like, what that day was like and what the aftermath was like?
3: You know, I've kind of mentioned to my kids in passing um, about the anniversary coming up and I was, you know, doing stories about it and such. And I think to them, it's about as fuzzy as those grainy black and white videos of Pearl Harbor being bombed were to me when I was their age. It was just so long ago, you know, in the past. But, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to kids that age that these actions have repercussions that change history forever, probably. Pearl Harbor changed the world, and we're still feeling the repercussions of that. 9-11 changed the world as well. And not only in the Middle East, but everywhere we're feeling the repercussions from that. So a history lesson for everybody. Thank you, Steve, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Bradley. That was
1: WUSF's Steve Newborn talking about his experiences on September 11th, 2001. And here's a final memory from one of our listeners.
6: After watching in horror the second tower crash, It was time to leave for my return flight to Florida from Philadelphia, where I had been on an Oslo repertory theater retreat. As I was listening to NPR in my rental car, I now heard the old executive office in DC had an explosion. This, as well as many other rumors spread rapidly, but were being reported upon by all the news agencies as fact. When I got to the airport, people were literally running out in the parking lots into the car rental agencies. They said they were told to immediately get off the planes. Just leave your luggage in the overhead bins. Just go. It took about one second to decide not to return my rental car and instead return to Newton Square, where, after two more days of living in a no-fly zone country, 11 of us in two vehicles decided to make the long drive back to Florida. Little do we know that we were driving home into a very strong tropical storm, Gabrielle, because that certainly wasn't national news. Our youngest daughter, who was nine at the time, was staying with a friend at the tip of Anna Maria, whose roof was peeled back like a piece of fruit. Our oldest daughter was at Elon University, North Carolina. The stress of family separation greatly heightened the anxiety of this dark day in U.S. history. It's a kind of event that becomes part of our social collective, as was Pearl Harbor to our parents or grandparents.
1: Thanks to everyone who submitted their recollections of 9-11. You can listen to more of them at WUSFnews.org. And that's our show for this week. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening to Florida Matters. Join us again next week.